Confidently Insecure, the podcast where we are absolutely sure we don't know everything. And boy, does this episode live up to that title because we are talking about a subject that I am so confident is important and works, but know truly nothing Mm -hmm. about. Uh, I've got my co-host today. You guys loved him so much on our Sex Workers episode. My boyfriend, Capslap, La DJ, Jared Lucas. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. You're here today because this is a topic you just like have boners for all day. I love this. Talking about brain hacking and neuroscience. <laughs> I'm making up words now. <laughs> Those are real words. Yeah. But we yeah. are joined today by Dr. Andrew Hill. You are the founder and lead neurotherapist of Peak Brain Institute. I am, yeah. And before I lose you guys, trust me, this may sound super sciencey and heady, but if you're someone that struggles with any type of mental health issues, this is going to be the podcast for you. And I was telling Dr. Hill, I have listened to a bunch of podcasts you've been on. I've listened to yours. Mm-hmm. And I get lost like two seconds into it. Okay. Jared could probably follow you to the ends of the earth with this shit. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? We can break it down. We're going to yeah. break it way down. And first, I want to tell the people what Peak Brain Institute mm. is. Because Jared and I have been going, full disclosure, for almost two months now. Yeah. So we have a bit of experience in it. And you were kind enough to come join us and talk about That's it right. today. Yeah, so Peak Brain is um, a network of brain fitness centers, essentially. So we're kind of like a gym for your brain, but not doing mental tasks and like Sudoku and crosswords. Do- <laughs> doing actually like work on the physiology of your brain itself. So as you guys experience, we do something called brain mapping, Mm -hmm. where we record baseline brain activity and compare it to a database of a few thousand people and see how unusual you are. Um, (laughs) And and people are unusual and being weird is normal. So we don't go, why aren't you average? We're going, ooh, where's the statistical sore thumb? What's really unusual? Ooh, that's really unusual. And sometimes that means X. So it's mm. sort of this hypothesis generation process, not really a diagnostic process. And it's super individualized. Mm. So you're really, you're measuring each person's brain as it's in real time. Mm-hmm. So it, what my results will look like will be totally different from someone else who also suffers from generalized anxiety disorder. Absolutely. I mean, words like anxiety and depression, those are high level human sort of experiences we're having and they're diagnostic labels, but mm-hmm. they don't always... Um, tie into the underlying resource in the brain. Mm, mm-hmm. So that's true for like depression. Anxiety, depending on the flavor of anxiety, you often can see as a little tiny hot spot mm-hmm. uh, in, in the brain. Um, but lots of things are much more amorphous, and so you have to kind of break it down Hold on, below. What the hell did that word mean? Uh, diffuse. Uh, Thank uh, hard, you. hard to. Even smaller. Yeah. <laughs> lo- I'm going to be doing that pin, a lot. Hard yeah. to pin down. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hard to categorize. I'm going to be um, cutting yeah. you off a lot. That's right. Sir. Just <laughs> That's be prepared. Right. This is not a polite podcast. That's right. No worries. No worries. <laughs> So, you know, we, we look for things in your brain that are unusual, but don't necessarily mean one thing. Okay. And can mean lots of different things. It might mean nothing that's unusual for you. So I look for the things that are really unusual against the average person your age. Mm-hmm. And those things that are really unusual often mean something. And so together we say, oh, this is true. Uh, or sorry, uh, could this be true? Mm-hmm. Oh, it is? Interesting. Now we can work on it. So you're kind of like 
a wizard in that you can look at someone's brain map results and tell a lot about them without ever having met them or mm. going into a, a deep, comprehensive, psychological yeah. uh, talk. A scientific tarot card reader. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a cold oh, read nice. on your cold brain. Read. Re yeah. Re yeah. Reaching out to those young millennials right. with your That's witchcraft. Right. Hey. I like it. Right. Um, so I wanted to explain what neurofeedback is mm -hmm. as I understand Great. it, and Please then do. you can tell me where yeah, I'm let's wrong. let's see what happens. Again, guys, I've been doing this for <laughs> almost two months, and I don't know what it is really, but I'm having a great time, and I'm seeing a lot of results. So, what I understand neurofeedback to be mm. is your brain is always producing brain activity, or else you'd be dead. So, at all yep. times, your brain is emitting these like waves. We have different kinds of waves, like beta and alpha and theta waves. Right. I don't know what those mean. I just know that that's what we produce. So what neurofeedback does is they stick these little magnets on your head <laughs> that reads these waves. And then it produces it. It travels down the little wires into a TV <laughs> where you're watching slash playing a video game. Yeah. But what you're actually watching and reading is your own brain waves. Right. And you are training or conditioning in a passive way, yep. this video game to be played based on what your brainwaves are doing. So if they're doing good things, ding, 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 we get the dragon through the hole and we right. get the Pac-Man eating the balls. And if it does bad things, we don't do anything. Right, and the trick there, the important part is that we're not doing something to your brain invasively. Mm -hmm. We're watching what your brain's already doing on its own. When it happens to trend for half a second in the right direction, we go, good job, brain, Yeah. with audio and visual. When it moves in the wrong direction, we go, nope. And the brain's like, hey, 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 I was watching that information. Where's information? And it's reward. It's like a reward system. And it's not Pavlovian, necessarily. It's, it's Skinnerian, not, like, not Pavlovian. Who is he? Skinner, B.F. Skinner, the father of uh, conditioning, father of psychology in some ways. Do you know who that is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. So pa everyone knows who Pavlov is. Pavlov yeah. trained dogs, dogs to salivate when right. you rang a bell or uh -huh. turned a light on. But Pavlov took two things. This is a form of learning that weren't normally associated and made them tied together, like salivating and sound or light. Skinner took behavior that already exists, like mm -hmm. pigeons pecking, and trained them to do it in a certain way. Mm. Okay, pigeon peck three times. The way you do that is you shape uh, the behavior till it's closer and closer. So the pigeon gets near the bar the first time. Ooh, there's some food. On day two, it's pecking once. Day three, it's pecking four times. Mm. After a week, he's tapping a little you know, thing to get his, his reward. You can do that with your brain because your brain's already changing on its own. Well, I want to ask about that. So we call that, do we call what you just said neuroplasticity? The, um, it's just learning. What okay. I just described as learning. It's associative learning. When you tie two things together in time, a reward okay. or two stimuli, it's all associative learning broadly. Most learning is associative learning. You have to associate two things in time okay, for so cause and effect. Or neuroplasticity, something. Jared, do you want to tell the audience in a very easy way what neuroplasticity is? So, oh man, so for me, I, I look at it in a couple different ways, but the biggest picture version is the ability to change your brain. So if you have highly neuroplastic brain, or yeah, it, it's very easy to change. And what I, from what I've heard about it, neuroplasticity is defined as the breadth of connections, which is how many, some, how many connections a neuron has, 
in addition to the depth of connection. So mm -hmm. how strong that connection you is to have other neurons. Lost me. Okay. The sorry. ability to change your brain is neuroplasticity, Basically, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah break it down, shift happens. Okay. So we know that the brain is able to change. It must is changing all the so time. So people yeah. who are like me, you know, ten years ago when my anxiety disorder was at its worst would ask myself these questions, is this gonna be this way forever? Absolutely not. I'm yeah. depressed now, yeah. I'm always gonna fall back into this right. pit, I'm always gonna have you know, nightmares. So what you guys are saying, I mean, what the world is saying, is that the brain has the ability to change. Yeah. Which is really good news. It is. I don't think a lot of people know that that's an option, that you can train your brain out of these disorders. Right. Well, you certainly can go after the resources and eliminate a lot of the core things. I mean, it's anxiety or attention problems or sleep. All brains do those things. So it doesn't matter if you call it anxiety problems mm -hmm. or call it generalized stress or mm -hmm. anything else. You can find the resource in the brain and condition it using this sort of operant uh, or other uh, Skinnerian or, or uh, associative like, learning. Sorry, down. not operant. Break it down. Yeah. Break it down. We got a we got a you fifteen can, to thirty. Audience. You basically can exercise the brain in a direction to produce changes the next day. You, okay. you, you probably experience this. You don't do yeah. anything watching the spaceship no. fly or the dragonfly. No. You're like, okay, it's changing. Sometimes it's working. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. But your brain's hearing a little good job brain whenever it's doing some things, not everything. So your brain notices, your mind doesn't, but your brain's like, ooh, I noticed whenever I drop my theta brainwave, mm -hmm. stuff happens. I like stuff. And so tomorrow it does a little more of what today produced an increase in stuff. Okay. So tomorrow you walk around going, oh, I feel a tiny bit different. My sleep is different. My stress response is different. I feel a little more clear. Interesting. And you report back to your coaches, hey, I'm noticing this effect. Okay, great. Let's try that again. And you guys and your technicians, or I don't know what you call them, are our coaches. Yeah. So when you first start, it's not like you do it once or twice and you're cured. But it really is like going to the gym where you start small and you wouldn't overload someone right. who, let's say, is, is suffering from like severe PTSD. You wouldn't right. just like bang the shit out of their brain. It's a gradual. It is, yeah. And you want to tailor it to everyone's uh, needs as well. I mean, you have very different brain waves, you know, the right. two of you guys. And we do different protocols, measure different areas of the brain, give you visual audio applause for different things your brain's doing moment to moment. But... Um, it's sort of iterative, like exercises. You can gradually shift brainwaves, but it also ends up becoming rather permanent for things that all mm. brains do. That's what I was going to ask next. Like ADHD, anxiety, sleep issues, we typically get something like um, two to three standard deviations of change, big change against the population in maybe three to four months and usually permanently. So I had to ask what standard deviation was yeah. last night. This is how much I didn't go to high school That's and instead okay. skipped school and smoked pot, right. uh, hence why I now have a podcast. Uh, a standard deviation, Jared, you Googled and showed me last night, right. is like a percentage, essentially. Maybe you can yeah. describe a little <laughs> bit. I, I, you know, I, I explain a lot of these things to kids, like little yeah, kids. Yeah, kids, so, pretend so, like, it's I'm, very explain, good explain so, like I'm fine. Better than me. If I'm walking to a little kid, what I'll say is, look, little Jimmy, so there's kids in your class that are taller than you are, and there's kids that are smaller than you are, but the average kid is a certain height. About a third of the kids are below that, about a third is above that, and then there's some really small and really tall kids. So each chunk of variability in the yeah. population is a standard deviation. About a third of the population is one standard deviation below and one above the mean, the average. Okay. So two-thirds of the population is average. So you're saying that you can change about one to two standard deviations? More like two to four. Two to four. Holy shit. Okay, yeah, and I, I want to... Li eliminate ADHD or anxiety, essentially. That's what I, yeah. I want to read off some of the mental health uh, disorders you mm. treat. 
ADHD, PTSD, anxiety, autism, and Asperger's, chronic fatigue, cognitive enhancement, and decline, depression, developmental disabilities, migraines, Mm -hmm. what? Seizures, sleep, substance use, and traumatic brain injury. Yeah, all those have pretty good research for them, or at least some research, and some have amazingly good research. Like the research on seizure, the average reduction is over 50%, 5% of people get complete control of seizures. I did. I yeah. had this question for later, but I'm just gonna ask it now. Why the fuck don't we yeah. know more about this? <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't we all have amazing cardiovascular health and abs? We know, we, how, we know how to listen. do that. You know, we, we would, don't do the would work. rather like try to follow, try to swallow the pill, or mm. you know. The the analogy I was thinking about when you were talking about the brain stuff, right? And we have different mm. needs and different. It's just like exercise, where I might be spending time lifting weights. Kelsey might be spending time doing cardio, but both of our activities are getting us closer to a goal that we want. Mm. And we can't just, you know, blink blink and have our goals happen. We actually have to work towards those things. And so over the time, you can grow towards where you want to be. Well, it's also that I did a mini documentary about medical marijuana and the health benefits of, against chronic pain. And my biggest question uh, to all these doctors that I interviewed that, you know, would save kids from these seizure disorders or, you know, these elders who were in pain were completely pain-free, is that in medical marijuana, you legally aren't allowed to market it in the same way you market Advil. Mm-hmm. And so the projects like that I did, they said, you're more valuable making a mini documentary and spreading the information than we could ever pay mm. to advertise our product. But what is it about neurofeedback and brain mapping that this isn't becoming... For instance, let me simple this down. Why why isn't this being prescribed yeah. in a, ahead of Adderall? There's a lot of reasons why this has remained on the fringes compared to the medical sort of mm. space. Um, and, and some of those are conspiracy theory kind of ideas that are probably true, and some are just logistical issues. Um, in the late 60s, when Sturman discovered you could reduce seizures, he discovered it by mistake. He found it in is a, this the cat story? It is, yeah. Tell. So, tell. We love cats on in, this podcast. Uh, oh, this is going to be a sad story then. Oh, no. Uh, okay, well, we'll edit out the I'll, sad part. Right, yeah. so, <laughs> Give us the happy kid In version. the late 60s, Dr. Barry Sturman at UCLA was working um, uh, with NASA trying mm-hmm. to figure out how dangerous rocket fuel was. Because astronauts are reporting getting sick and mm-hmm. nauseated and hallucinating and having weird mm-hmm. issues when exposed to the methyl hydrazine, the rocket fuel vapors. Okay. Um, so Sturman was uh, a learning scientist, mm-hmm. and part of learning is about t- uh, um, experimenting on animals at the time, certainly. So he was creating this experiment where um, an airtight plexiglass cage was created with a beaker of rocket fuel inside of it. You put a cat in the cage and close the door. Shake them around like a soda. Can. Well, in, in 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 the cage, the vapor of the rocket fuels. Wow. Uh, in the air, so minutes in the cage meant symptoms. Right. Stumbling, crying, drooling, right. seizure, coma, death. Wow. This perfect dose-dependent curve for like 24 out of the cats he was using. Wow. But eight of them refused to have seizures and needed like two and a half hours of exposure instead of 40 minutes wow. to what's show. What's wrong with those cats? Or what's right with exactly. those cats? Exactly. Couldn't figure out why until he realized he used those same cats six months prior. And a proof of concept to see if you could, using using uh, operant conditioning, train up or down their brain waves. So the cats had neurofeedback, and by total accident, this guy put them in a soda bottle rocket fuel machine, and, and they, they were seizure resistant. Yeah. Wow. And, and so then he said, "Can we do that to humans?" His lab manager, his lab assistant, was an epileptic, uncontrolled on meds, having tens of seizures every month. Wow. So they built a machine, trained her brain. Over the next couple of years, went off all of her meds and remained seizure free for many months. 
the right place, the right time, the right equipment, yeah. it sounds like. And that was one of the ways it was discovered at the same time. That was late 60s. Um, Sturman's grant funding was pulled for epilepsy work right after that for some why? reason. No one knows why. Mm, he was sleeping yeah. with the boss's daughter. And then what happened is we discovered the same frequency Sturman trained up in cats. And cats, you know, the involuntary thing, they will squirt a chicken broth whenever their brain waves increase. Oh, that was, that was the fun. Um, the same frequency called SMR, sensory motor rhythm, okay. is present in most animals. You've seen it in cats. If you've seen a cat lying on a windowsill watching birds, you've seen SMR, that liquid body but laser-like focus. Oh, okay. That's SMR. It's the opposite of ADHD. Oh, because it's where relaxed. You're, where you're motorically active and mentally, yeah. you know? So the opposite is a high SMR state, what predators do when they see an animal, relax deeply and focus strongly. So we want humans to be like that? Well... If you have seizures and you train up mm -hmm. SMR, you raise the, the threshold of resisting them, make your brain more and more and more stable. Okay. If you have ADHD mm -hmm. and you train up SMR, you eliminate it. So let me ask this: What does the what does it what does ADHD look like to you in the brain? Like what is it yeah. doing? It's one of a handful of things. It's usually um, a lot of theta brain waves, okay. which means that the brakes are off. There's air in the mm -hmm. brake lines of your car. You can't quite stop yourself from doing things. Mm. It often also looks like um, a lot of eyes open alpha waves, which okay. is being stuck in neutral inattention. Those are the big features. Theta is impulsivity or being uh, impulsive or, or physically mm -hmm. reactive, mm -hmm. and alpha is being sort of inattentive. Okay. And those two are the big, the big features we see usually in ADHD. And the brain mapping, is, as I said earlier, is more of a hypothesis generator, but the ADHD Markers are 94% accurate when they show up in the brain maps, the QEGs, to spot ADHD. You can sort blindly buckets, thousands of people into ADHD and non-ADHD buckets using one single measurement of the EEG with 94% accuracy. Which is something you did to both of us when we had our brain yeah. mapping. And we actually, I had been told my whole life that I've had ADHD. I don't ever remember being tested, but from teenage age, I was put on Adderall. Yeah. And I always thought that my anxiety stemmed from my inability to focus and my impulsivity. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, I, I did the Amen Center, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but you kind of, I had one of those emoji brain exploding moments when you were like, you don't have ADHD, or I would hypothesize that you don't have ADHD, but your anxiety is coming from the mismatched levels of like stress versus mm -hmm. ability to thought process does, does that make sense and it's well you creating... were showing impulsivity like you were clicking right. on mouse buttons without mm -hmm. meaning to mm -hmm. but then looking at your brain there was no impulsivity it was all mm -hmm. burnout and stress right so you were more reactive than impulsive right you were more burnt out than inattentive so my symptoms of adhd were actually coming from my anxiety not and, the other and way lack around. of deep sleep right. and chronic stress and, right yeah, and exactly. being told you don't have adhd 10 years after you've been on adderall was kind of a mind fuck for me you did have a lot of brain fog and some indications yeah. of delta waves and some indications of wear and tear so the mm -hmm. stimulants would have would have like treated the brain fog and fatigue so let's talk a little bit about what you just mentioned with uh, uh what do you call it traumatic tbi, TBI traumatic brain injuries, brain yeah. injuries. Yeah. so one of my questions is you talk about what you call low-hanging fruit that works really well with neurofeedback mm. which are ADHD, um, PTSD, anxiety, anxiety, seizures, migraines, seizures, migraines, yeah. things that are a little harder to treat or take a little bit longer to spot or mm. recognize pattern in is something like bipolar, schizophrenia, disassociation, depression, depression. What yeah. makes that harder to 
sort of nailed down than these other Some of those waves. categories that are harder are because we're not talking about a brain resource. We're talking mm. about a human experience of that resource. So like mm. if, you, if you say that you have PTSD, or let's say you're just, um, you're ruminative, you worry a lot. Okay, thank you. I look at your brain and I'll see that the threat detector in the back midline, the posterior cingulate, is doing this all the time. Uh-huh. And, and you need that. You're driving a car, you look down, you want to get a sense of, oh, watch the road. Yeah. But you don't need that to be up all the time. Right. And if it gets up all the time, the brain basically does that because it learns it needs to. Mm-hmm. So once you learn there's tigers everywhere, you're like, where's, where's tigers all the time? <laughs> right. So it's not so much the resource is good or bad by itself. It's like, oh, here's a resource, a threat detector, an evaluator. This is a couple of standard deviations higher than average. Which means it, it's worse than the average yeah, person. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or this unusual. Unusual. Is that getting in the way for you? Are you experiencing a lot of rumination and worry? Oh, you are? This might be it. Great. Let's exercise it. Right. So, so it's something it's, you can spot and bring down. But Turn depression. Turn that spot down. Exactly. Right. But depression is like, well, there's some features. There's a frontal asymmetry where the brain gets reversed in the front. That's there sometimes. The brain's slow sometimes. You see anxiety markers sometimes. Mm-hmm. But there's no depression resource in the brain. There is a switching to the important thing. There's switching for the dangerous thing. There's uh, orienting your attention for executive mm-hmm. function things. There's sleep onset. There's depth of sleep. There's suppression of seizures. Those are resources in the brain. You can spot them. You see them. Mm. If they get tweaked, you kind of get a classic complaint. Okay. You know, front midline excess uh, beta. We front, don't know what that is. Uh, front, front of your brain. Front of your brain. <laughs> middle of your brain. Front middle. Okay. Uh, your brain um, called the anterior cingulate's job okay. is to decide what's important to pay attention to. Okay. So if it gets a little bit extra active, you get things like songs stuck in your head, mm-hmm. nail biting. OCD, that kind of stuff. Okay. So if you see that kind of high, then you go, oh, are you perseverative? Are you stuck mm-hmm. on things? Oh, you are? Great. Now you can exercise you that down. down. But so those are obvious resources, but depression mm-hmm. could be a bunch of things. Or things that are relational, all the access to stuff like mm. narcissism and borderline personality mm-hmm. and bipolar personality. Those are more about the relational things and early learning, uh, how you learn to be with other people. Mm. If you were safe as a child, mm. you know, um, a tr- early trauma, developmental trauma can sometimes okay. produce like more of a learning thing. So one of my questions that I have is we always hear that things like depression and anxiety, for mm. example, are chemical imbalances. No such thing. So go on about that because I also am curious about like how – that no such thing as a chemical that. imbalance. I hate what that. What does that even yeah. mean? Exactly. What does it even mean? What chemicals are we imbalanced yeah. with? Yeah, yeah. The, the absolute level <laughs> of a neurotransmitter. Exactly. Neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, GABA, glutamate, et cetera. Those things have no, no absolute really. level. Well, we have like 10 classic neurotransmitters and like 20 or 30 other ones. These chemicals that are signaling molecules in the brain. Okay. We call them ligands, things that bind to receptors. Slow down. Too many words. Too many words. (laughs) Neurotransmitter. Okay. Or a hormone. Okay. Or a peptide. Yeah. Or anything that binds to a receptor that that signals to a cell is called a ligand. Okay. And we've got, you know, dozens of these things that do different things in the brain and body, kind of like little um, communication pathways, if you will. And the absolute level, the amount of dopamine or serotonin, mm-hmm. is a hypothesis that it's really to mental illness performance. Like the, the serotonin theory of depression is a big one. Yeah. Why, why is that like the one thing we all hear and know about is you're not getting because this. Because of so commercials in the 80s. Fuck. Mm. It's always coming down to big pharma, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It really is showing pretty pictures and happy little molecules dancing and like, you know, color things lighting up. There's absolutely no indication that low serotonin is related to depression. In fact, high serotonin makes me a little anxious sometimes, but the absolute level is meaningless because we change the um, amount of receptors we have in cells and how easily they're triggered 
based on the signal we're getting. So we tune right. the whole system around mm. the signal we're getting to keep constant information coming in. And one example is Parkinson's, which mm. is a, it's a very severe degenerative brain mm -hmm. disorder. Mm -hmm. It is a problem with dopamine production. We make dopamine in like one place in our brain, basically. Mm -hmm. And Parkinson's has you know, sh shaking, rigidity, tremor, right. cognitive symptoms, a bunch of stuff happening. And it takes 20, 30, 40 years to unfold. Right. You don't get any symptoms in Parkinson's until you've lost 75 or 80% of the neurons in your brain making dopamine. Whoa. No symptoms. So that's Zero. for sure. You just, it, well, no, no, I'm saying is the brain can tune around losing 80% of your dopamine. How? By changing how it's listening to dopamine. It, it increases more receptors, make them more sensitive. How do you do that? Cells do it. I don't know. Okay. Cell, <laughs> cells can handle it. Yeah. Okay. What I'm saying is with a changing signal, the cells tune themselves to hear the signal. Ah. And you can lose most of your signal for most of these things. The brain's like, yep, no worries. Until you get to the very extreme edges, it has no problem. Everybody thinks that right here, the high, certain level is where all your receptors are. And under the water, let's say, the, the serotonin levels are dipping really low, so it's they, everybody thinks, oh my gosh, it's so low. But really, the, the top of the water is going down yeah. with the, mm, the yeah. receptor. So it's like a, it's, yeah, it's, it's like a beach same... ball on, a, on top of a pool. Like yeah. The water changes height, the ball, the ball up and goes down. with it. That's it, the receptor. It's, yeah, yep. it, it, it's auto-adjusting. Automatically adjusting. So almost Very nothing cool. in the brain can be changed dramatically. The whole system readjusts to keep things roughly similar. Hmm. Um, not you guys lost me a little bit, but I think I'm following. I'm trying to stay on board <laughs> with water. So let's right. go with the water. Instead of having a, um, a submarine go down into the water, uh -huh. it's more like a boat that stays on top of the water uh -huh. with the level of the water going up, up and, and down. down. So they stay at the same ratio. Mm -hmm. Your cells? Well, the, the neurotransmitting yeah. receptors. If, if in I'm if I'm speaking half as loud to you from uh -huh. across the room, uh -huh. and you put two microphones out uh -huh. instead of one, you hear me the same way. Got it. So adding another microphone is adding a receptor to your cell. Got and it. Saying, oh, I can't uh, quite hear. Let me one. throw a microphone so in. So how do you do that? When your cell you... your cell does it. Oh, I can't quite hear the dopamine enough. It says, let me throw another receptor into the space to in the synapse to listen for the for the information. So then you were saying something about 70 percent Parkinson's. What I'm saying is you can lose your dopamine uh -huh. for 20, 30 years. Uh -huh. Nothing shows up for symptoms. There is no Parkinson's, no cognitive symptoms, right. no tremor, no sleep issues. You have to hit, you have, the, the system can adjust itself around some huge range of absolute information with no effect. So things don't break down until you're like at the extreme edge cases of how the brain changes. And then it's like too late? Yeah, I mean, at that point, you've lost most of your tissue. But I'm saying the absolute level of dopamine up until that point had no meaning. A boat won't scrape the ground unless the river goes all the way down to a certain right. level. Once it gets to a certain level, that boat is going to be scraping the ground. And most of the, the people's concern about chemical levels in the brain mm -hmm. are like talking about, are we in a great lake or are we in an ocean? It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. The boat doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm back on board. Yep. I think I'm understanding. Yeah, it's always going to float. doesn't matter what height the water is. So except is you, there, you basically have to be about ready to die before neurotransmitters become an issue. So is there, th is there uh, help, help with neurofeedback that can prevent some of this stuff? Or are we looking at like treating once symptoms have shown? Yeah, for Parkinson's, we actually can work on seeing. We don't know why we can work on it. That's one of the things we're not 
we're working in a phenomenological yeah. space. But we seem to be able to reduce tremor and rigidity and improve sleep and executive function. So I was going to ask about physical symptoms, too, mm-hmm. because with ADHD, we don't really think of it as more than just, like, the inability to sit still or, like, with OCD, maybe tics. Yeah. Do you find that you've seen with patients physical yeah. differences coming All the time. In? All the time. I mean, we, we usually eliminate ticks in OCD and almost wow. always eliminate the physical hyperactive motoric yeah. uh, fidgetiness in people too, if they want to. The nice about neurofeedback is you don't get something removed from you or changed in a blanket way. You have a resource that might be stuck on or a little too high mm-hmm. or a little weak, exercised. Mm-hmm. So you can still be ADHD if you want to be, if you need to be. <laughs> you don't have to be in a boardroom. You can be shooting zombies in a video game. Yeah. You can shift back and forth from like, the quiet, I'm, I'm using my own internal resources mm-hmm. to, to decide to focus, versus relying on the environment to make you focus, is what uh, ADHD does. So it becomes does. like you're more in control yeah, of exactly. the way your brain works. Exactly. Instead of feeling a state imposed from the outside, you could gradually feel it's easier and easier to use those resources. So I want to ask a little bit about your background as to why you got so interested and fascinated by the human brain and why did it become so important to you to help other people understand how to train mm. their own brain? Because if you're a real asshole, you could just be the magic gatekeeper and make everyone come to you every time. But what's great about Peak Brain Institute is you're actually teaching us how to read a brain map and how to look at ourselves and go, oh, this is something individualized to me that I can learn how to change again. Like, you're giving me control. So why? Well, how most are you not people aren't that. Well, maybe I am. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't really know. We don't really know. You haven't seen my brain map. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, uh, most people in the field, there's like 5,000 in North America, probably 10,000 worldwide. Uh, most of them are therapists, mm. psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, nurses, et cetera. And they do this in sort of a psychological, medical kind of perspective. It's being done to you. It's top down, let me help you, let me fix you. Mm-hmm. And then when they do the initial uh, part of it, they do a clinical interview and then they'll look at your brain, hopefully, and your attention and performance. And then they say something like, here's what's wrong. So it's this relationship of, oh, I have to go and find what's wrong with me, stuff's mm-hmm. being done to me, oh, what they're going to say. And when we work together, as I'm sure you experience, it's more like, oh, is this possible in your brain? Oh, it is? Oh, great. Yeah. Not like, here's what's wrong, but something real we can now go after and operationalize. Yeah. So I'm always thrusting the agency of what you want to do back onto clients. Right. So we work much more like a coach works with an athlete. Mm. What are your goals? Okay, I'll help get you there. Mm. Not, here are some goals for you, which is what mm. a doctor does. Here's what's wrong. Which is, makes me as a patient, if, you, if that's what you want to call me, feel very empowered. Good. It's good. Client, but yeah, good. Oh, client. There you go. You're not a patient. Not a doctor because you can't – it's not diagnostic. It's not. And I'm not an MD or a psychologist. I have a PhD in – I have a PhD in cognitive neuroscience. Mm. So for me, it's the mind-brain sort of intersection. or Really, it's about how the brain produces the mind. So why – how does one get into this? Because you're so smart. (laughs) (laughs) It's, like, embarrassing to sit here with you two, and I'm trying to be like – science, Parkinson's, boats. I get it. But I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Why would you willingly get into this? Hey, you're working on your brain. Thank you. you. So, yeah. That's true. In exactly, a way. yeah. I've been doing brain stuff for a long time, is yeah. the short answer. Um, I, in the uh, 80s and 90s, I worked in inpatient and residential homes for profoundly impaired adults mm. with physical, cognitive, mental, all kinds mm. of issues. I did crisis work in inpatient violent psych units for mm. many years. Wow. Um, I've worked with elder units. I've worked in mm. dual diagnosis, substance abuse units. I was going to ask you about the substance abuse because um, a, another part of your program helps with, again, like that impulsivity yeah. and, and people that 
um, addic- addiction brain, if you will. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about how sure. neurofeedback helps? Because this isn't like public information yet, but I've quit drinking. Oh. And that's not something. Recently? Recently. I'm 18 days in. Okay. And I have not had an urge mm. to drink. Yeah. And I, my audience is probably shaking in their boots because <laughs> I am known as like the the alcoholic, the yeah. one that can drink more than anyone in the room. And I just haven't had a desire to I'm pick up surprised. a drink. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Half of all people that have slightly dysregulated relationships with substances will quit spontaneously when they start doing their feedback. What? Wow. Yeah, I, I, I don't tell people that. No. You know, but, but like half of all chronic t- st- uh, teenagers or stoners will just stop smoking weed. I have wow. not you know? read that and I've been yeah. researching this shit like for days. Well, if we get rid of the impulsivity and the anxiety and the discomfort with your own emotions and feeling, you know, some stress and start sleeping better, you kind of work out all your dysregulated relationships with food, drugs, sex, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. You have impulsivity, some disinhibition, some anxiety, some discomfort being Mm. in your shell. Those things are all trainable. They're all things you can work on in terms of resources. wild. Um, Plus, we eliminate your tolerance to cannabis. If you're a cannabis user, two, three weeks, four weeks in, you're a one-hit wonder. Wow. And you know? that, I feel like, is... Uh, we we kind of had a discussion about that when I was interviewing you for a different uh, medical marijuana video, but we had talked about the effects that long-term chronic marijuana mm. use in people under the age of, like, 25 can have and that there is hope mm. for people that there is some of that that's irreversible or that some of it is reversible. Oh, it's all reversible. Anything to do with your brain, shift happens. Get yours. No, your, no your, plasticity. Your, your brain, shift happens. shift happens. Your brain will change. It's going to. It's not a question of if it's going to change. It's how. Hmm. It's like you're going to eat food. Why don't you eat good food? Yep. You know, you can just, like you can that. choose to eat nothing but starch and crap and get fat and tired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or you can choose to be, you know, careful and systematic about it and get healthier. See, this um, is great because I hate going to the gym, but I feel like I'm actively doing something to make my body feel better. You are, yeah. Okay, but let's talk a little bit about an embarrassing I, embarrassing thing I did a couple months ago where I spent $4,000 to go get my brain scanned. Not, a, not with us. Not with you yeah. guys. That's like, uh, a, that's like a whole program with us, mul- is, multiple months. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. was at a different center that I had been recommended to to get a, a, a basically a picture of your brain and they're able to actually look at the organ that they're trying to treat and tell you things about yourself. Mm. So I went in and I walked out knowing exactly what I walked in knowing, which is that I have generalized anxiety disorder, uh, depression, all these things that they could see physically on my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had also pointed out that I had had some sort of traumatic brain injury in my teen years, which is true without me divulging that information where I had two concussions, one when I fell down when I was too drunk, and another from playing flag football, which I've stopped doing because now were I've torn my... No, I was okay. in high school, so that doesn't really say much. But um, they were able to see those things on my, uh, uh, on my picture of my okay. brain. Now, when I said, now what? They went, oh, no, no, that's not really the part we do. We just tell you what it is. This is the diagnostic mm. part. And I felt a little resourceless mm. in okay, you're telling me something I don't already know, but peak brain kind of felt like the step two in, okay, now I know what's uh, unusual about me. Mm-hmm. How do I treat it? What's something like actively that I can do? So when I came, I got my brain map results. So I wanted to pull these up okay. for you to take a look at and kind of walk the audience through 
what you're seeing. I'm also going to include these visuals on youtube.com slash Kelsey where you guys know that you can watch this podcast. Um, but I want you to just go through and tell us through my results how the process actually works. Let's say someone listening is like, hell yeah, this sounds fucking dope. This is what I want to do. Yeah. Can you kind of talk us through what works as well as how my results showed? Sure. So um, we have you do two things when you come to Peak Brain. It takes about an hour to do an assessment. One of them is measuring your performance, your behavior, how well you can attend or not be impulsive. Mm. So for that, which I'm sure you guys both love, uh, <laughs> we flash some numbers on the screen, a one or a two, or we speak them over the speakers uh, mm. for like more than 20 minutes. There's 440 trials. And so it's ridiculously tedious and you start making errors. The, the goal of that test is to successfully click on the ones mm -hmm. and resist the twos. Mm -hmm. So if you miss the ones, you're inattentive. If you click on the twos, you're impulsive. Okay. And your scores are actually very, very good. These are age norm scores um, where 100, the score 100, is the middle of the bell curve. Mm -hmm. It's the mean. Mm -hmm. And then a standard deviation. There you go. Big words, mm. guys. Walking away learning something. One mm -hmm. chunk of variability is about 15 points. Okay. So what that means is if 100 is the, is the average, around 85 to 115 is typical. That's, mm -hmm. a, that's average variability. It's, that's, it's a, who cares? Yeah. Below 85 might be a bottleneck. Above 115, it's like, wow, this is pretty interesting. Yeah. Things, you know, a little high. And you have some really high scores in things like speed Goddamn and stamina. Right. <laughs> because yeah. I'm anxious. Yeah, well, because you, you're trying hard. Yeah, like I was like, being, oh. yeah. In, in terms of the, the, the moment of responding, um, we measure your vigilance, how alert you are to things changing, mm -hmm. your focus, how well you can stay when things aren't changing, mm -hmm. and then how quick you are. Okay. And your vigilance is great because you're anxious. Yes. And you're really, really quick because mm -hmm. you're anxious. But your focus is actually not that great. It's oh, okay. But, a ha you know, it's, about it's in the low 90s. So Ooh. it means when things aren't exciting in the outside world, you I'm disengage. Out. Which you told me this when you were going over my results. And I was like, how did you know? <laughs> like you also had said something about, oh, word finding probably mm. after 2 p.m. And I don't think you understand. I have been going to neurologists, yeah. psychiatrists, trying to figure out why after 2 p.m., it's not like the 2 p.m. fog that everyone gets. I physically cannot remember the word for table. Mm. Yes. And you Speed were able to look at this and tell me that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the brain maps. Um, before we get there, the other thing on the attention test is your impulsivity, mm. which is high in visual and low in auditory. You're very reactive, squirrel, to visual, yeah. but not to auditory. Which, what, what, give an example of an auditory. Like. Kelsey. Oh. You know, like if you're talking to me and someone, in <laughs> something like here's something uh, in the background, it would pull you. I'm actively ignoring this. You're able to, to be prudent, be careful and follow somebody speaking, but visual stuff like pulls you really easily. Right. That makes and that's unusual sense. to have only one of those resources be a little bit off in ADHD. Mm. So you do look impulsive because mm -hmm. you're a little bit distractible, mm -hmm. but most of the resources in monitoring the environment, mm -hmm. trying hard, staying checked in, being vigilant, being alert are, are great, that's actually well above wonderful average. Host. <laughs> <laughs> and then if we look at your brain maps, what we see mostly is two big features. Um, one is you're making a lot of Beta brainwaves. Betas are fast brainwaves. So okay. to answer a question you kind of asked at the beginning, <laughs> brainwaves are um, like gears in your brain a little uh -huh. bit. You kind of look a little like, like bursts of activity. So mm -hmm. a delta wave is, is bursting or firing twice a second. Okay. And a beta wave is like 20 times a second. Whoa. Little fast little waves. God, our brains must be tired. They do. They're doing millions, billions of things all the time. Wow. Um, some of those brains, slow brainwaves, deltas and thetas, 
you don't make a lot of unless uh-huh. you're deeply asleep or kind of mm. chill. And some brain waves like betas and faster betas, you don't make a lot of unless you're really, really focused. But you make them all, all the time. Right. So for you, we looked at how much you're making it rest at a very high level view. It's uh-huh. called a QEEG, quantitative EEG. That just means we're comparing you to a database. Okay, thank you. Of other people. For that. <laughs> now, this is hard to interpret. It's why I teach you to read it instead of telling you what it means. Right. But it's stable year after year. The okay. brain maps don't change. Right. Unless we change your brain. So Got we're going to do another repeat map on you guys soon. Right. And we'll see some changes. That's going to, I mine's can't tomorrow. wait. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, God. See, how many, after how many neurofeedback sessions, that's when you play the video game with yeah. your brain. How many of those do you recommend for people I do, every, do? Tw- every 20. Okay. Um, I, I map the brain and measure the attention every 20 sessions. Mm-hmm. And typically people do about 40 or 50 sessions to begin. Okay. Three to four months of training. And your technicians put it in a great way. They were like, you go to the gym three to four times a week to really see results. So we started coming two to three times yep. a week to really see results. Three times, three months is my minimum usually. Yeah. So that's, okay. 40, that's 40 sessions. Yeah. I typically do 40 to 50 to begin. Mm-hmm. For the big things that all brains do, ADHD or attention, mm-hmm. stress, sleep, those things can be usually eliminated in three to four months. Um, so on the attention test, like you're, you have these orange blobs, which would say in, in theta and delta, which means your brain's stuck in a slow brain wave mm. mode, probably because of concussions, mm-hmm. maybe because of lack of deep sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't tell you why. Is mm-hmm. it ADHD? Is it an injury? Is it fatigue? Mm-hmm. But I can tell, oh, you're a couple of standard deviations more, a higher amount of a slow, foggy brain wave mm-hmm. than you want to have. So that's a true statement. Now the prediction, the hypothesis is, and for many people, this means some brain fog mm-hmm. and some impulsivity mm-hmm. and a little sense of fatigue in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And you were like, oh yeah, that's, that that's sounds like me. me. Yeah. Well, then this is most likely all these slow brain waves that are kind of high. Mm-hmm. When you open your eyes, they actually stay high, mm. you know, a little bit. It's like, eh. well, actually they aren't that bad. But they are there. These, these extra slow brain waves means your brain's stuck. Basically you're driving around with the emergency brake on. Right. You know, because high gear that's like anyone who has a generalized anxiety disorder knows that that's kind of what it feels like. Yeah, it's like the emergency brake is on and the accelerator is on the floor at the same time. Right. And you have the other feature, the beta waves are also a little bit high for you in those switching systems. Uh-huh. The front midline in the front uh, here is for what's important, mm-hmm. the back is what's necessary. Oh, okay. So, evaluating dangers, the back, um, mm-hmm. thinking about did I turn the oven on? or turn the oven off right. is the front. So So I want to ask for something like that. Do you become this way because your brain has mm-hmm. learned to make these waves over time because of like environmental or, or socioeconomic or does race and age play a factor in the way your brain yeah. waves make themselves? It, it all Why plays, am I this way? It all plays a factor. <laughs> About a third of your experience is genetic. Oh, fucking mom and dad. Only a third. <laughs> okay. Well, still, that's only a, a third. I'm still blaming you. So Assholes. you may have been prone to having this flavor of anxiety, mm-hmm. but the environment had to sort of set mm. you up. Okay. And then you had to learn how to dysregulate this way too, probably. Not that it's your fault, but mm-hmm. your brain, because of the resources and structure and support and danger you had at that time, mm-hmm. the most sort of cost-effective way to be was Hands like up. this. And yeah. evaluating, chewing on things, because your brain learned that the environment wasn't safe. It mm. better damn mm. well ramp up those resources for evaluating what is safe, what is important, what is predictable. And at what age is that becoming a permanent way of thinking? Well, it's never permanent. Oh, sorry. You're right, because that's exactly what right. we're here to talk about, how it can change. But <laughs> when does that change. become... Well, it can happen anytime. Mm. So if you come back from a war zone, you'll see it. Uh, as That's like a PTSD, PTSD. Mm-hmm. but you have a kid who's bullied or you know has mm-hmm. some preverbal trauma. You know mm-hmm. they're they're cold and starving uh, before you know for the first two years of their life. We're not cuddled enough. You mm-hmm. get 
attachment style traumas. You mm. get relational traumas where you can't feel safe around people. You often see the more acute things as the later events, like right. the PTSD, you know, right. sexual assault, uh -huh. war fighting. Uh -huh. That produces little hot spots. The brain's like reactive. Right. The early, early, early life stuff isn't quite as obvious, but tends mm. to bleed into everything relationally. Now, is that so, what you're talking about too with something like uh, depression or bipolar or schizophrenia is something that is usually, I, I don't want to assume brought on from trauma in childhood because mm -hmm. I don't know if that is true, but is that why it's harder to pinpoint because it is emotionally driven, relationally driven? Things that do have trauma from childhood mm -hmm. to cause them as adults are harder to work on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you have to do some deep work generally. Now, do you ever pair something like neurofeedback with uh, therapy sure. or medication? Or do people Not, come off I don't, their medication? They do as well. Uh -huh. um, people usually come to see me when they've exhausted other All ideas options. or they don't want to go into meds, especially for ADHD and things, mm -hmm. or, or meds aren't working, like for seizures. And I usually mm -hmm. get them off. It, usually we fix their brain and they go off their meds talking to their doctor. Mm, Almost okay. everyone goes off of their meds long term. Yeah. But I don't really work on that relationship right. and say, oh, ADHD meds? Well, let's get a clean map at the beginning right. with no meds. Right. And oh, by the way, three, four weeks from now, you're probably going to start getting effects like you're taking too many meds. Right. Because you're not going to need them. Talk to right. your doctor when that happens. Well, then let me ask you about the uh, relationship to um, uh, some of the, the videos that I had watched that you had done before were also about they have a little section about the negative side uh, side effects or can this be harmful or is there any actual pain involved? Mm, yes, with mm. neurofeedback. And I want to say, no, there's never any, doesn't there hasn't hurt. been any pain. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. You're not sticking anything in your actual brain. They're just no, sticking messy, a little, little magnet yeah. gel into yeah. your hair. But I remember one of the first side effects that I felt was that I would have these crazy ass vivid dreams, yeah. like insane. And I that's would, plasticity. Wow. Crazy ass dreams after you train is the equivalent of like waking up the next day after the gym and being like, oh, I'm a little sore. sore. Yeah. So is yeah. that my brain just like purging the shit from the back of my head? It's reorganizing. It's reorganizing. You're shaking I, the I etch a sketch believe up. It. I, the first thing I did was Google side effects of neurofeedback and the first thing that popped up was vivid dreaming. Yeah. It's not a side effect. It's an effect. An eff oh, what's the difference? Well, if I'm doing something to your brain and you start reporting crazy dreaming, I keep going. Yeah. Because something's happening. Oh. But if I do something to you and let's say throw your sleep onset off or throw your mm -hmm. depth of sleep off, make you feel on edge, a little spacey, wrong training. Okay. And But it's very iterative like a personal trainer. You don't necessarily know what will work for every person's body. Same mm -hmm. thing's true for a brain. Oh, here's her goals. Here's some her brain. Let's try this. And that's you guys creating these prototypes. That's also why it's important to have this communicative relationship yeah. with you guys like we every ask you time, a lot of questions yes yeah. every time we come in they're like what's happening here what's happening here and so it doesn't it does feel so personalized um is there any naysayers out there uh that that argue with you because i know you do a lot of panels you speak a yeah. lot have you ever had someone challenge your belief in this and what was it about and how do you disprove people that yeah. aren't sure why this is Important. I mean, certainly some people are skeptical about neurofeedback. Generally, they don't know anything about it. And those mm. that do, do know something about it um, are almost always positive. Mm. Um, uh, every so often, I come across like an uh, uh, health insurance executive from the 60s mm. or 70s. Love who, those who, guys. Who was biased about <laughs> it and, and still is, mm -hmm. you know, and they have this kind of weird, like, religious anti-neurofeedback mm. view against it. But for the most part, it's relatively straightforward. It's not physiology. There's no belief involved. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not even as as, as amorphous as mm -hmm. psychology is, as therapy is. Which meant uh, uncategorizable. Thank you. Hard, hard to hard to nail down. <laughs> hard to pin down. Yeah. We're learning so much. This That's episode. right. And vocabulary terms. Um, 
But, I mean, you know, it, it was discovered by mistake right. in the late 60s on cats. <laughs> cats are very bad instruction followers. <laughs> yep. Not a placebo effect. Right. Done. Right. And it works on nonverbal children, mm. people in coma, mm. nudgy teenagers who don't want to be there. That's wild. You can people do this on people in coma. Yeah, Margaret Ayer is one of the greats in the field who's died a couple of years ago. Her whole uh, career at the end of her life was flying from coma bed to coma bed, no. working people. Yeah, and she would bring people out of coma. Shut no so, up. Not not necessarily always, but I'm not sure all the techniques she used. But she, that was her specialty. And wow. what are you? What are they seeing on people in coma? Are they audio. still awake? Doing audio. Audio. Or you can use tactile. Like clicks. And tactile. Well, you hear you guys hear beeps and, yeah, and, yeah. and tones and things, and then tactile. So, huh. um, like I, I do tactile or what historically a, a touch. Okay. So I do tactile stuff for kids that are um, nonverbal and blind or blind. Uh huh. So you put a little teddy bear. The kid holds a teddy bear and it rumbles mm-hmm. and oh. vibrates whenever their brain does the right thing. Wow. Or you put him sit on a little strip, like a massage strip, sure. and it, it rumbles whenever the brain does the right thing. Okay. So they go, it, it's create a feedback loop. Brain doesn't yeah. care what the feedback is. I mean, right. you guys have fun right. hitting zombies, but right. a simple audio beep with nothing else that only occurs and your brain does the right thing would teach your brain. So he's saying hitting zombies, one of the games that we play is yeah. where we drive a car around with our brain. And I say with our brains because we have no control over it. Our brains are just doing it, and we get to hit zombies. And when yeah. you hit them, they explode into tiny pieces of steak. Like groceries. Yeah. 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 Can you do neurofeedback before an exam, and is that cheating? It's not cheating. <laughs> well, can you, work out be- can you work out before a sports event? You sure yeah, can. There you go. Okay. Get your pump on. We are winding down time here. And so I just want to get a couple more questions in. And I want to give you also the opportunity to brag a little bit about some testimonial stories. Because we've heard some insane stories whenever we go in there to train. Uh We come in and we sit on a chair for 30 minutes and watch a video game. We meet other people who give us their stories about how this has changed their oh, life. Oh, I'm curious to hear what what you've heard, actually. We've met a couple people that have talked about how their relationship with people have changed oh, too. Like they've become nicer people mm. because they're able to tolerate conversations mm. yeah. and they're able to communicate their feelings now. So it comes it comes at way more than just a oh, yeah. a cognitive or creative level. It's, it's like people it's kind are, of it's every it's everything. Yeah, I it's mean, becoming nicer people. <laughs> if you if you walked into Equinox Gym, mm-hmm. all the staff there has their abs hanging out, right? <laughs> yeah. But all my like twenty and thirty year old staff, no. It's like they're 50-year-old meditators. They're yes. calm, they're yes. kind, they're attentive, they're low-key. They're so cool. And they're really like cool and they're all Brilliant. and they're all like young, insanely well-adjusted people yes. because they do neurofeedback. Mm. So again, if you're working in a gym, you're off hours, you work out. Yeah. But all my staff trains their brain three, four times a week. Yeah. And over a couple of years become their best selves. And they're not, you know, we ask, we prod for those miracle stories. Mm. So can you share with us just Sure. I really want you to brag a little bit okay. about what you've seen and the lives you've changed because... I mean, it's everything. It's, it's, it's across the board. We usually reduce seizures dramatically. Mm. We, we almost always eliminate ADHD. And so <laughs> to my, my, my favorite people to work with sometimes are those people that have incredible potential that's frustrated by oh. anxiety, ADHD, sleep issues, that kind of stuff. Because I can get you out of your own way. Quickly, within a few months. Yeah. And sometimes people with massive resources and intellectual resources but some constraints... You free them up, they they soar, and I really love doing that. And we've heard about people too who have at one point in their life even been suicidal, mm-hmm. and have even. Uh, yeah. I like what you're saying about getting out of your own way because someone like Jared, right? He ha- is a br- has a brilliant mind, and I know that not by looking at his maps, but just by experiencing him. But I do think he has 
ways of getting in his own way in mm. conversation and um, his ability to sit in one spot and do a, a task for a certain amount of time. My focus was like multiple standard deviations lower. <laughs> I had like 55 on my focus. And it's almost like, like you're crazy high on the, the quickness. So I you're think like that's unlocking these levels yeah. for just Jared to to clear the road a little bit, to sweep the garbage out and the cobwebs out of his way. Yeah, and, and it doesn't mean there's not a, 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 um, a place for therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a therapist, I'm a mm-hmm. neuroscientist. I'm really mm-hmm. operating as a coach, but you know, the therapists that I do work with sort of view, uh, like they send their clients to us because neurofeedback helps them then mm. do the therapy. I get the brain out of the way. And then they can do the work on their relational stuff, Maybe their anxiety. That's why your therapy's yeah. been going so I know, well. Right? Like, like, um, I also wanted to ask about chronic pain and migraines. Yeah. Yep. I've heard some success stories about people who had chronic, chronic yeah. migraine and, and and chronic pain. I have some. I have a few clients who have uh, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, wow, which is like a connectivity that's issue. Oh, very rare. Mm-hmm. I have like three actually. Untalked um, about. Ge- is it genetic? It is, uh-huh. and it's an issue of making collagen. And it's, what's it called? EDS? EDS. Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Yes. Basically, you're in deep pain. Most people that have this are in deep pain all their lives. Right, right. Because the connectivity to, of every tissue is just inflamed, wow. essentially. And you don't, you don't have stretchy tissue. Right. Um, your joints are all hypermobile. Mm-hmm. And, and um, with a couple of these people, I've taken their chronic pain down. And one guy, uh, I'll just switch gears, he has a spinal fusion at age seven. He's 66 wow. now. <gasps> He has a rod going from here Oof. to there on both sides of his spine and, and 100% fusion wow. at seven years old in like the 40s. Wow. Um, or actually the 50s. And I saw him, uh, I have an office in St. Louis and he was in my office a couple of years ago. Now I'm not a psychologist and mm-hmm. I really kind of hate when this happens, mm-hmm. but he walked in and said, look, actually a psychologist sent him over who he wouldn't work with. He's like, look, I'm not depressed, but I'm going to kill myself and, and you're my last stop for, because for of the pain. pain. Mm-hmm. And he, a buddy of his who's a psychologist, like, look, he couldn't get him in treatment, but he's like, well, try some neurofeedback. And I was like, wow. well, I'm not a doctor here for you. Yeah. So, but we tried some things and for him, for the EDS clients, for some other chronic pain people, just ratchet it down for all of and them. And what reliably. is that doing in their brain? Because you've mentioned EDS is about collagen production. Is yeah. there a way? It, what's it's central what's it doing to the pain? The brain? The, the brain can come from the pain can come from the body uh-huh. and be picked up. It's always perceived by the brain. Right. So it, if your brain can't perceive the pain, it's still there. Well, You're with just chronic not pain, it? you get an echo in the brain uh-huh. of the signal in the body, uh-huh. and the echo becomes louder uh-huh. than the signal in the body does. Uh-huh. So chronic pain, the brain, the brain gets irritable and stops. Uh, be able to ignore pain or in chronic pain killer you know you have breakthrough pain you know opiates for many many years mm-hmm. they stop working you have breakthrough pain right, the, the right. brain sensitizes to the pain experience right. that's a central circuit in the right front of the head right so if that's extra hot and active you're mm-hmm. anxious you're in chronic pain you can actually tamp it down and the experience is literally feeling your pain drop and that happens within minutes Fuck. so you should try that when you're feeling yeah. extra yeah dr hill knows about my trigeminal neuralgia which i'm sure my audience has heard me talk about a million times and and I even tried hypnotherapy at one point where the doctor would tell me, you can outthink your pain in, in the sense that, you know, you, you bring someone into the emergency room who has a broken back and feels nothing. Mm-hmm. And then you bring someone in who complains that every bone in their body is on fire and you try every test and you can't find anything yeah, and how yeah. frustrating that is. And it becomes, you get blamed for having, it's, oh, it's a mental thing. Oh, you're, you're making this, it's all in your head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in a way, like, it can be in a good way that mm-hmm. you can train your brain to not feel it. 
You can because I mean the brain getting extra sensitive or extra aware of pain is a you know for survival reasons, but chronically historic you know we don't need to keep that awareness of pain so you can tune that down and and that gets into this question you asked at the very beginning why aren't we all doing this right well one of the reasons is stuff's invisible Mm -hmm. if you break your shoulder you kind of know it but if you break your amygdala (laughs) then you're just traumatized right or something and and we don't feel the same degree of um dispassionate judgment over brain stuff body stuff we feel guilt we feel shame we feel less than and do you feel like our generation is kind of kicking that to the curb because 10 years ago when i first started having these chronic panic attacks i was feeling that shame and embarrassment that you're talking about and now maybe it's the echo chamber of la or whatever Mm, but mm. do you see a change and and do you feel hopeful about the future of neurofeedback? I mean, for neurofeedback, that's the yeah. that's the reason we do it is yeah. because I just don't want to be happy with whatever brain you aren't happy with. I don't care <laughs> what it is. If it's sleep, stress, mood, attention, mm. symptoms, mm-hmm. or performance, here's your brain. What do you want to do with it? Mm. It's all I really care about. I don't mm. really care if it's a symptom or a problem. But I know I can eliminate most big problems right. that, that many people can't actually shift in classic. Mm-hmm. I mean, other, um, this doesn't happen usually in neurofeedback, but I've seen autistic kids with profound symptoms regain language. Wow. You know, th- that's a rare case, right, but I can, right. I can almost all, I can always reduce the sensory integration issues and the wow. seizures and the, right. the OCD and things in those kids. Right. But every so often, you know, like there was one session, uh, one, one client I had who, um, you know, six sessions in, uh, she grabbed her mom's arm. Like, Mommy, I love you. We were all like, Whoa! Everyone starts crying in the no. office. You know? Or one kid. Um, this is a, a cautionary tale about the side effects. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working with somebody else, and a kid came into the office. He crawled in under the desk. He was under the 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 psychologist's desk, you know, high pitched whining and mm-hmm. screaming, and mm-hmm. profoundly autistic. The mom came in, and supposedly six months before, he'd been high functioning autistic at oh. age seven. Wow. And she got a neurofeedback system at home, Ooh. got a protocol. Didn't do it right. Trained him 80 times in a row with uh, no supervision. No. And he kept getting worse. Wow. And she was like, this is neurofeedback. It must work. I should keep right. doing it. Because didn't realize it was, it's not one thing. It's right. like a it's thousand things. It's like the prototype. gym is good. Not if you work the wrong way. Right, right. Yeah. So, every day. you know, or if you have a broken bicep and you yeah. curls, you'll injure yourself badly, right? right? right. So. Yeah. Um, so she really produced, a, uh, actually, he devolved back to his two-year-old self. Oh, nonverbal, no. sensory integration yeah. issues. Um, we got her back on track and trained him. And that kid graduated a couple years ago, valedictorian oh from his liberal arts gosh. college. No And way. is that why and you no do this? no diagnosis. Yeah. Is that why you exactly do this? exactly why. This is what drives you? No, and no diagnosis for that kid, anymore. Yeah. There's been a couple of kids I've worked with who have no diagnoses and autism anymore. Yeah. Usually, it wasn't a great diagnosis to start with. Right. There's a mix of things. But I don't care about your diagnosis. Right, right. I wow. care about your goals, your ideas. And I, your I ideas. say that all the time. Having a name on something doesn't help me anymore. Like, some people like to know this is the thing that's wrong. And for yeah. me, I'm like... I've been misdiagnosed so many times, and I've, I've detached from the word. I now mm. go off of results mm. and and how I physically feel. And I mean, Jared and I. I mean, I, like I said, I'm making a larger video about this for BuzzFeed, so I don't want to like give everything away. But I have not had a disassociative panic panic attack since coming to do mm. neurofeedback. Great. And you would even say, Jared, that my anxiety It's incredible. Has uh, been she and especially flying on planes. Airplanes. I couldn't fly on an airplane without she drug had to alcohol. either have alcohol, yeah, alcohol. Or, or sixty drugs. milligrams of Valium, which yeah. is not a normal mm. amount. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> she yeah. the last flight she did, even by herself by myself. She did it without drugs or alcohol. By myself, cross country. Yeah. 
it, the and you got moved into a middle seat. I got moved into a middle oh, seat no. because I had a stuck a knee on a tarmac for a, um, an hour. hour. Yep, and I didn't even pull out my drugs. Wow. And I was like, this is a placebo. This has got to be just bullshit. And and then it, I kind of was like, I don't care if it is bullshit. Yeah. I don't care <laughs> if it is placebo because this is the first time I've been able to fly by myself in years. Mm. Whatever, I'm not trying to like blow up your spot too much, but like it's changing my life. And you guys should stay tuned for that video on BuzzFeed, which will be a couple months because we're making a much larger series. And we'll about also it. look at your brains and show it's actually a change. And yeah. I mean, that that, that's the, the thing is, it, yes. physically, you, you know, can see it. Okay, yes, it's changed. Now you can believe everything you're experiencing. Yeah, or at and, least interpret and that's it what I wanted to mention too is that the the empowerment behind being validated in your in your the way you feel because you can physically see it and you're having not just one professional but multiple technicians and professionals each week catering to your individualized plan there is something so relieving and comforting and personal that i feel at peak brain that i've never felt in the years and years and years that i have done shit wow we are out of time but i wish we weren't because this was so incredible uh i want to end on one last note of if people don't have the access to neurofeedback or, mm. or maybe don't know how to vet a place mm, um, mm, or mm. a doctor. What is something that maybe people can do in the meantime? I know you're a big practice, uh, a big practicer of mindfulness mm. and, and meditation. Mm. Um, can you give us just little bits of advice for someone that's looking to get into something like this, but needs help sure. right now today? So first of all, meditation can do a lot and you probably should be meditating or doing yeah, mindfulness everyone practice. Be meditating. It's <laughs> the kind of thing, it doesn't really matter what you do for meditation. What matters is how regular it is. It's mm. sort of mental hygiene. Like you brush your teeth every day, just sit and meditate for 10 minutes. Mm. Like it doesn't matter what yeah. you do, what style, just do it with you know re- regularity. Get up, hit the restroom, sit down and meditate. Like just, <laughs> just make it your part of your ritual. Yeah. And after a few weeks, it will change you. Mm. Um, I don't think meditation and mindfulness should be used for acute interventions for stress and things mm. like that because those require you to do voluntary things. And if you're dysregulated, it doesn't really work yeah, that well. Yeah, you're like, I don't, I want to do anything but meditate right now. <laughs> right. So that's one reason why I like neurofeedback. It's really involuntary. Yeah. Um, a way to vet a good neurofeedback practitioner, there's about half the field probably working in pretty evidence-based, rigorous mm-hmm. ways. And all those people will use something called QEEG, brain right. mapping. Right. If you use the quantitative EEG, the brain mapping, to do an individualized assessment and then design protocols for you, mm-hmm. you're probably on the evidence-based side of the field. And mm-hmm. everything then becomes about the person you're working with and the relationship and who they are and you like them and they smell good and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, I, I joke at Peak Brain, I really enjoy hearing your experience, yeah. but I joke we're sort of between a gym, a spa, and a mechanic. <laughs> True. You know, for your brain. And yeah. that's not the only relationship you might want mm-hmm. for your brain stuff. It's you, just you might a want wonderful that, additive. But you might also want a therapy. Maybe right. your stuff's trauma and you right. want a therapist. Most neurofeedback people are therapists. Mm. You can find ones that do domain-specific therapy with mm. the thing you care about and how to work on brains that have that particular problem. Got it. But I'm sort of like, well, whatever you want to do is fine with yeah. your brain. So um, if you're looking for a, for a, another provider, make sure they use QEEG. Okay. Uh, we also do a lot of remote training. Um, mm. More than a third of our clients, you can train yourselves at home. Really? So what do they do? They just go to like peakbrain.com or like they, DM me on Instagram? Or? They have to go to um, one of the Peak Brain sites for uh-huh. a few days to get a brain map and get trained mm-hmm. up on equipment and leave with your own hardware. So it could be like a vacation. That's you come right. out to LA, you hang out That's with right. us. Or, or St. Louis. Hill. Or St. Louis. Louis. No one yeah. wants to go there. No offense. <laughs> My mom's from there. It's kind of nice Cheap right flights. Now. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know where Wright City is? Yeah. Uh, That's where my mom's from. (laughs) That's where we have to go every Thanksgiving. Anyway, not here to shit on uh, 
Missouri. You should visit the Peak Brain in St. Louis, though, if you're there. Yeah? Because it's lovely. It's, it's even nicer than our early one. Maybe actually. we'll Whoa. convince Buskin yeah. to fly us out there, there part, of our, uh, part of our documentary. Sounds great. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Hill. Where can people find you? Please plug your stuff. We want to follow you. Get more info. So on socials, we're always Peak Brain LA mm-hmm. um, or Peak Brain Institute. And uh, I'm also Andrew Hill PhD on socials. And so please hit us up. Let us know your brain stuff, your brain and questions. And you're incredibly involved. So like once you're oh, yeah, with Dr. Hill, on. you're screwed because your family there and you're involved. Right. You're part of the team. He's your coach. That's right. For life. And I want to thank my co-host, CapLab, at CapLab on all the platforms. Uh, sorry, I didn't let you talk too much. but uh, This is why I'm here. I'm just, just a, I'm, I'm a sidekick. <laughs> I love it. I love Great. It. I'll have you back for more. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. You can always rate this on iTunes. Five stars. If you don't like five stars, please don't rate it because I'm sensitive. You can get your Confidently Insecure <laughs> merch uh, in the link below. Find me at Kelsey Darren, all things. And we will see you next time. Bye. Right, is that a thing you do? Yeah. Okay.